All right, so welcome to welcome to Cork Taint. I uh, I'll be honest, man. Past week I've been like, I'm not doing this anymore. Fuck that. And uh, now I'm like, you know what? No, this is gonna be it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be good. So well, for anyone wondering, we uh, are trying to pull Tom <laughs> back from giving up on our glorious glorious <laughs> show by doing a wine that we've both been very excited about. Mm. Um. Because, yeah, well, you know, uh, it's not exactly been a great week anyways. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there no. was ever a week that was gonna gonna drive you right to the edge of being like, why do anything? Why try? Yeah. You know? And, uh, Live in a country where this one. the good political party is uh, run by people so glaringly incompetent that you have to assume <laughs> they hate everyone who votes for them. Um, yep. And then don't do anything for the benefit of those people anyways. So... Uh, yeah, you know, and then can't even fucking uh, win an election in what would be described as like I- an ideal moment to have a slam fucking dunk. Slam fucking dunk, man! I can't wait for Pete to be uh, to be president and for him to run and uh, just ever, you know, mm-hmm. he's he's the face of the party, and that's really what I'm excited. Oh, for. Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah, Pete's mm-hmm. Pete's face, but you know what that will mean. We get to make uh, white face jokes <laughs> for as long as we want. I'm uh, Pete Buttigieg, and um, <laughs> I. And, uh, you have to vote I'd for me say because I, I suck I, uh, penis, but it'd be uh, unironic because uh, I do. I yeah, I mean, uh, oof. Uh, Chastin seems nice enough. I don't know, like uh, that looks like the most loveless marriage, man. <laughs> oh, mm. it's so rough. It's for clout, bro. Yeah. Ooh. Man, this is even better than last time I had it, which was a week ago. I had a bottle of this a week ago because it's so good. Sauternes one of my favorite kinds of wine. Easily. Mm. And it gets no fucking appreciation. No, absolutely. And that's good because it's dirt fucking dog shit goddamn cheap. Well, I mean, even... So, this... I've been looking forward to this because even more than, like, all the other times where I try to talk about, like, the comparative prices of things and how you can, like, gauge mm. sort of the... um bullshittery of a of a particular mm. wine market by the like mm. gaps in price between stuff yeah yeah sauterne is awesome because there is a very clear very definitive reigning champion grand poobah best brightest you know like yeah people don't argue about what the premier sauterne is it's a it's a clear yeah. you know it's it's a cam it's people, you know. Yeah. Everybody's saying it, folks. Everybody, there's no nobody's arguing about it. I'm. Uh, mm, let me let me take another run at that. Let me take right, another go stab for at it. it. Dial, run, run it back. People are making this wine. They're making it. It's called Sauterne. It's supposed to be really good. It's supposed to be great. But the best one, the one that everybody talks about. I've had it. I don't know one, two, three times, maybe, maybe more than that. I don't drink, but, um, you know, I've had it. I've taken it. I've opened the bottle. I've poured it out. Is Ikem. Oh, man. <laughs> dude, dude. The, have you seen that guy on Instagram who, like, yeah, yeah. his name, like, fucking Francois, whatever the fuck, and he drinks all those bottles of wine? Oh, not like, this guy, no, yeah. Super fuck. Like, like, he'll have a post of, like, Clos de Tarte or something from, like, 1915, and he'll be like, yes, um, a fine vintage indeed, you know? And, like, basically, like, the, the person who I make fun of, like yeah. that. That voice personified is this guy. 
and he, some someone posted a bottle of like Ekem from like 1875 or something like that, you know, and and then he commented like, I've had this wine seven on seven occasions, you know, and like. <laughs> Like, it's not even his fucking post, but on I want to start doing this on all of his and being like, I've had this wine three times and me comment to be like, I've had it four. And just every single fucking time he posts, be like, I've had it five. I've had it six. <laughs> no, no, I've had that. No, actually, I had the 1871. No, I had the older one and it was actually, it's better, actually, because I had both and the older one was better and you haven't had it. Because, like, that's obviously what that comes off as. And I don't know the guy. Maybe he's, like, fucking autistic and he doesn't have people to, like, read emotions and he's not trying to come off as a dick by saying, I've had this wine from the 1800s seven times but like he is yeah. you know what I mean no, but it'd be, it, it needs, it's even better to come off as like to just like just not even be like I've had that wine seven times it's like well I've I've had wine eight times I've been yeah, I've, yeah, there you go. I've been drunk eight times today I've <laughs> I've had sex three times <laughs> just, how many times you have sex buddy huh just exactly reflect, I've had sex <laughs> Yeah, well, I had sex instead of drinking that dumb wine, yeah. so. Um, 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 Who gets pussy, me or you? Yeah, someone offered me that wine. I was like, why don't you have sex with me instead? And they were like, I'm not gay. And Boom. they were like, me neither. <laughs> but you should have sex with me instead of giving me that wine. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Saw turn me out, baby. Mm, ooh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, it, oh, it that's can gonna is... be. That's going to have to definitely use that as part of the title. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, so, like, Ikem is... So, Sauterne is uh, mm. usually primarily Semillon. Um, the one I'm drinking is a... Uh, so, I'm drinking uh, Castelnau de Sudero. Uh, Sudero is the, I believe, the house. And then Castelnau yeah, is one Chateau of Yeah, Chateau Sudero. Yeah, Chateau Sudero. And then I'm drinking one of their um, second labels. Yeah. And because we coordinate everything about this podcast <laughs> down to the second, <clears throat> you are drinking... <laughs> Lyon de Sudero, <laughs> <laughs> which is the other second wine that they make, which apparently I was reading some shit online about them, and apparently the Lyon de Sudero is supposed to be the more, like, easily accessible, drinks younger kind of thing, which, like, is very coded for, like, not as good yeah. in, like, wine production yeah. terms, but, like, that, sometimes it can mean, like, oh, it just has more fruit and it's not as, like, austere, which, is again, is a term we should probably define as being, like, you know, not as, uh, like, like... Like, like the more the more like easily approachable just means it's kind of easier to like and sort of like in the way that blue cheese is an acquired taste a lot of like aus, like austerity <laughs> austerity in wines is uh, can sort of be a uh, <laughs> can be an acquired taste you know like austerity um, in Greek economics <laughs> yeah exactly austerity measures an acquired taste yeah. we can use some yeah. we fucking get used to them <laughs> I fucking try to. <laughs> But but so this one would be I guess the most the more affable, yeah. approachable one, and yours would be the more stoic, austere one. And with um, particularly Sauterne, that has a like austere has a very specific meaning because it's a vi- it, and this plays I think back into what you were saying about it being a type of wine you like a lot. Sauterne yeah. has a different rule book than other wine because of okay. what it is and how it's made and like it's it is a fascinating it's it's like like port or. Uh, um, Marsala or or Madeira, yeah, like other uh, dessert, like what are classified as dessert wines. It's a, um, it's just a very specific object in the wine world. And one of the things that's cool yeah. about uh, Ikem itself is that within the specific object with it, which is Sauterne, there is the very specific object which is Ikem. And um, my like my understanding is that uh, 
Chateau Sudero does the same thing to make their second labels that is done. And I, Ikem doesn't have a second label Sauterne, as far as, I, like, my understanding is when there's a vintage where they cannot make Ikem, they do not make a wine. They sell their barrels to other producers who make Sauterne out of their wine. Uh, but there is no... It's insane. Yeah. Ikem is a fascinating... <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. it's nuts because when you say that, you can say, like, there is no bad bottle of Chateau Ikem. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a bad vintage of Chateau Ikem. There might be a corked bottle of Chateau Ikem. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's the The, only way a bad bottle... bottle Yeah, it's the only way a bad bottle of (laughs) Chateau Ikem ever occurs. Yeah, yeah. But no, dude, fucking Sauterne is so good because... Like, I was talking to Steve, and he was like... uh, And he was like, you fucking kids, right? Like, you guys don't... He's like, you guys don't drink Sauterne. I don't know if it's because you don't eat dessert or whatever. And I'm like, no, I think it's just because there's, like, such a pushback now. Like, no, I don't like sweet wine. I like dry wine, but not too dry, you know? Yeah. And it's like, um, and so no wine is like, too dry for me. I like wine as no. dry as I like wine as dry as I like my pussy. If anyone plays with my pussy, I get real upset. <laughs> get livid. I get I get wet with fury. Ooh. <laughs> oh man. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. No, but he was like. And I was like, you know, how much did it used to? Because he's like, you can get it for nothing now. I'm like, how much did it used to cost? And he was like, I don't know, a bottle, half bottle. He's like, because nobody was drinking like full bottles of Sauternes, but half bottles of, of Sauternes, say half bottle of Chateau Sudero in like 1986 or like 1980 was like, or seven, I think he said either mid 70s or and he's somewhere from the mid 70s to the mid 80s. He was like, was like 50 bucks in like that era dollars, you know. Yeah. You know? And yeah. uh, I was like, fuck. And he's like, now you can get a bottle of Chateau Sudero, a half bottle for like, if you find it for like 40 bucks, you're like, oh, cool. Yeah. You know, which is ins- <laughs> insane. And uh, like this. Yeah, a, seven, a 750 uh, is $100. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Like, so what vintage is yours? So I'm drinking a 2013. Oh, cool. Yeah, me too. Which, nice. Uh, oh, nice. Uh, yeah. And my half bottle of this was 22 bucks. Yeah, I got this for fourteen. Oh yeah, which is fucking That's ridiculous. Awesome. Yeah. Dude, Rachel got Rachel went back yesterday and got two more. Because nice. so, so this will be like, but like, yeah, I bought a bottle for fourteen bucks, and it's so fucking good. Like, it's, it's so good, man. Yeah. So in and I, at the website I'm looking at, <laughs> you can get a bo- a full bottle of uh, Chateau Giraud. Mm-hmm. We are. I can't. I don't know how to pronounce. G- it's with G I U G U R A U D or something. Yeah, yeah. We are. Yeah. Guiard. Yeah. Guiard. Guiard. Yeah, it's a it's a premier crew. Um, yeah. Got 96 points from Wine Spectator, $75 for a full bottle. Oh, yeah. No, it's nuts. Oh, dude, I was going to say, yeah. You're talking about Chateau, he comes in a league of its own. No, it's literally in its own classification. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's, like, first first growth, second growth, whatever, in, in like... In Bordeaux and stuff, and that applies to Sauternes also. But in Sauternes, there's like first growth where Chateau Sudro is in there, Guillard is in there. Uh, I forget there's a couple other ones, and then um, there is oh, uh, Riusac. I don't know how to fucking pronounce that, but it's got a crown on it and gold letters. Very also very good. Um, and then and then Chateau Weekend is its own. It's like great first growth or something like that. Where they're yeah. like, yeah, no, you guys are the first growth, but I'm like the best. I'm like I'm gonna create my own little fucking <laughs> yeah. tier up here. Yeah, no, it's uh. I mean, it, it is essentially the same sort of phenomenon uh, as in Burgundy. There's Burgonia, there's Village, there's Premier Cru, and then there's Grand mm-hmm. Cru, and then there is the Domaine Romaniconti estate vineyard. 
which, you know, yeah. is technically just a grand cru, but it is also, like, a hallowed agricultural land. It's the most valuable piece of agricultural land in the world. Yeah. Like, to that, in that way, Ikem is completely exceptional. But, it, again, Sautern is a very fun, separate object because, like, despite how special Ikem is and how it's, you know, exalted in this very specific codification of a specific type of wine from a specific area, uh, a current vintage bottle of Chateau Ikem is what? Like, $500? No, um... Maybe oh actually well, like a seven fifty yeah uh probably yeah let's see um two thousand five is five fifty oh, something around there yeah, yeah probably yeah yeah you're right about five hundred I thought you were talking about a half bottle yeah no about five hundred dollars no, yeah, yeah. for yeah which is like it's like you were telling me the other day about um I can't remember the producer now the, the uh was it Chateau Rias the uh-huh. the like these that produces the I might have that completely wrong. The Grenache Blanc you were talking about, where it's like one of the oh, great wines oh. of France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was, uh, oh, the one that, um, the one that's like super under the radar. Yeah. Yeah, Mas Julien. Mm. They're in the Languedoc. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like certain, certain like French Psalms have said, yeah, it's one of the great wine, great French whites. Which, like, in that way, Ikem is, and Ikem people know about, people know about the, like, the yeah. nature of what it is. It It is not under the radar in any way but it the scale up in price and then the price for like the exalted example of this type of wine from a great french wine region is expensive like don't get me wrong that's a very expensive bottle of wine for you know like i'm not going to just go out and buy it but yeah 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 that is so different from like the conversation we were having about petrus uh right or um or Or, uh, drc or Marche. Uh, yeah. yeah. DRC Marche is like easily like seven grand for a bottle. Yeah. Like that's in the US at least because there's a distributors and stuff. Yeah. But like, all right. So in Europe, what probably like five grand in Europe or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So an it's, order of magnitude greater. It's completely different than even fucking Napa, where, you know, if you're. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there, it, it is such a remarkable, like, in terms of expression of a type of winemaking that other people yeah. just cannot do. The fact yeah, that it is yeah. buyable, not, I'm not saying affordable, but buyable. Right, right, right. <laughs> is, yeah, no, it's 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 true. It's mind-blowing. I mean, champagne has similar, uh, it's one of the reasons that I, you know, laud champagne so much, uh, because I insist upon talking about, like, the, the sort of market nature of wine regions, but, like, the fact that mm-hmm. you can buy exceptional bottles of champagne at, like, buyable, though perhaps not affordable prices, is yeah very admirable. Yeah. And that also redounds to it it matters that these are wine and it this gets into whole like what you were saying about sweet wines uh, sparkling wines the same way for people mm-hmm. people have this hang up with well it's not wine wine it's some other yeah animal yeah. wine yeah exactly and it's like yeah even even calling champagne wine people are like oh what yeah and just like oh yeah no we're gonna have a bottle of champagne they're like oh what's the celebration it's like i wanted champagne yeah i like that i'm having a roast chicken it's delicious i don't you know what i mean yeah like uh you know and there's a whole difference between calling people but calling just any sparkling wine champagne and whatever which i don't which i don't really like i don't care about like people call it champagne sure whatever like doesn't fucking well if you get the right cremant de Bourgogne, you'll have you can spend 20 bucks and get something that'll be as good as any like 45 50 champagne champagne yeah, oh, not totally. any, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, depending on who yeah, you're Yeah, yeah, no. 
No, totally. And I mean, yeah, there are like domestic, there's sparkling, domestic sparkling wines. There are ones from Tasmania. There's wines from all over the world that you can get that yeah. are in that price range that are totally, that are comparable. That um, Murgo, the sparkling uh, Nerilla Muscle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That wine is so fucking good. Damn, that wine's good. But, um, that the, just their, but yeah, their still Murgo was great. Oh, that yeah. Was oh, man. Wine. Yeah. I got to get, uh, when, whenever you fucking move out here, then, uh, <laughs> you open a bottle of this. It's very good. Very good. But, um, <laughs> very good. Very nice. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so, but, oh, yeah. Like, Sauternes is so fun because it is not like uh, the way that it's differentiated from. So, the one that I'm drinking is 96% Semillon, uh, 4%. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc. I don't know. Uh, I didn't look up what yours is, but it should be on the same uh, website because I'm looking at the Sudero website. <laughs> yeah, which is tough yeah, because it's thing... a gold text on a white background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's not the best. Uh, let's see, let's search for adventure. I expect. Oh, yeah, but I'm I expecting was... to scroll down and get to the and aliens built the pyramids section. <laughs> That'd be sick. Oh uh, yeah. Oh wow, this is quite a website. Yeah, uh, 97% Semillon, 3% Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, nice. Um, oh yes, yeah, so this one, Leon de Sudero, mine is eighty-five percent Semillon, fifteen percent Sauvignon Blanc. Um, oh, from your vintage. I guess I didn't look at my yeah. actual vintage. Oh, of, the, uh, yeah, the thirteen vintage. Castle now, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there are, there are a couple things uh, I wanted to to talk about this. Um, uh, I'll write this down. Yeah, so I think it's interesting that um, actually I'll say one thing and tie into another thing. Um, it's interesting. I think Sauternes is so cool because it allows for a truly unique expression of both Sauvignon Blanc and um, Semillon, and mm-hmm. then whatever Muscadella, or there's a grape blended or whatever. But um, like it, because it's it's you're getting characteristics out of those grapes that you couldn't get. Like I've never had a, had a Sauternes that I've bought ever, and I'm and even when I'm buying it, I'm remotely concerned that I'm going to get any sort of like grassy character. Mm-hmm. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? No, like f- yeah. from the Sauvignon Blanc, like never. Yeah, and I'm never, yeah. you know, and I'm normally really like sort of reticent to to buy Sauvignon Blanc like well, really that, from anywhere for that reason. And that all in Sauterne transmutes into this amazing sort of like almond paste characteristic. Oh my god, it's the best. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's like um, yeah, almond paste marzipan. Like yeah, not not full blown almond extract, but yeah, yeah, like marzipan. Yep, I think this is just almond paste basically, but. It's so fucking good, man. No, but, but marzipan's yeah. a better note because there is also this textural element to it that is yes. entirely yes. unique. Yeah, it's it's so incredible, and there is nothing else like it. And, I mean, I guess this is just sort of a commentary on, like, sweet wines in general, but um, I fucking love them. And it is it is sort of an, an acquired thing because you're not used to it, but how I will sort of break my friends into them is I'll give them, like, a cabinet Riesling, mm-hmm. and I'll sort of work them up using Rieslings yeah. that have, like, super punchy acidity, and then they'll be like, uh, you know, they'll be like, oh, you want this? And they'll be like, yeah, sure. And, and I'll be like, oh, it's got a little sweetness, just so you're sure. They're like, ah. And I'm like, do you like lemonade? And they're like, yeah, it's delicious. I'm like, okay, then you'll like this. Yeah. Like, it's got this beautiful acid-sugar balance that lemonade, if you take all the acid out, is just disgustingly sweet. But yeah, the sh- you know, you add lemon juice in there, and you're like, oh, fuck, this is really good. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, I was over... Um, she doesn't yeah, fuck her I'm over Amber's house like, she's not gonna want me to say anything but I don't fucking care it's over her house <laughs> I was having dinner there last weekend and I gave this to her and she smelled it she's like oh that's terrible and I'm like eh fine fuck you you know and then <laughs> and then her uh, her boyfriend tried it and he's a chef and he was like so he's cool because I can talk to him about flavors and he like gives a shit you know and like yeah. hey you smell that like that cool sort of like 
like saffron like candied ginger type of thing he's like yeah i'm like dude that's from botrytis you know like yeah. uh like like strawberries that they get the white fuzzy shit on he's like yeah i'm like that's the same shit yep that grows on these grapes and that what that ends up doing is like degrading this the skins and so like water evaporates out it concentrates the, the sugar levels in the grapes and uh and then when you ferment them that the flavor of the botrytis itself imparts this really gorgeous element to the wine and he's yeah. like that's fucking awesome and i'm like yeah yep. <laughs> it is <laughs> well, it's also so that gets into a whole part about sauterne that uh I don't want to derail that story if there was another part of it that you were getting to. Uh, no, I was just going to go into um, the the just m- make a sort of little side note about sweet. not all sweet wines are made using botrytis, and yeah. there is a key difference between sweet wines that are made using botrytis and not using botrytis and the flavor impacts. Um, like, it's very interesting to have, you know, side by side. You're like, oh, just because this is sweet doesn't mean it has that sort of element to it. But yeah. I think one thing that, that Sauterne does exceptionally well, as does... Um, you know any any of the best uh, like um, regions in in Germany for making uh, sweet wines um, are that or in a, any Riesling region I guess general is the uh, like deft usage of botrytis which comes down to vineyard management which itself is you know very much dependent on just the vineyard itself yeah and, and there's arguments about inoculating the vineyard with it versus you know oh that has to be natural and all that kind of shit but that's a different conversation well it is uh, the thing that I was gonna jump into. Uh, about what you were just saying is that um, both uh, German sweeter wines and German wine generally because of how um, sort mm. of extreme a lot of the slopes in Germany are uh, oh, yeah. and, and the river valleys and all of that stuff. But um, Sauterne specifically is one of the best, I think, ways into uh, making someone aware in a really profound way about the importance of microclimate. Because Oh, yeah, definitely. Because the way that Botrytis develops in Sauterne and the nature of what you need out of a vintage for for everything to work is so exacting, and mm-hmm. it, it's there like in the same way that like uh, the word Nebbia is thought to be sort of the derivation of the name for Nebbiolo because of the fog mm-hmm. in that part of Italy. Uh, Sauterne does not exist without the mist uh, that they get in these particular regions of Bordeaux where Sauterne is made, which Mm -hmm. creates the conditions that are ideal for Botrytis in the mornings, but then that they get warm sun later in the day, which burns that mist away and then uh, dries the grapes out so that the Botrytis develops very slowly because uh, the kind of Botrytis that is, uh, that um, just for, uh, to go deeper into like discussing that and Mm -hmm. nerding out about it. Yeah, yeah. uh, The term noble rot, like it's called noble rot. Noble rot and rot are the same. It's all botrytis, but the nature of how it develops and how it looks in the grapes and how it um, basically metabolizes sugars within the grapes determine whether it's noble rot or just rot rot. So if it goes fuzzy and furry, that then it's rotting. But if you see the berries go from gold to start turning sort of like, sort of, they're yellow and then they're gold, and then they start turning like this lilac purple, from the inside out, mm-hmm. that's noble rot, where the botrytis is still inside the berry and it hasn't broken the skin, but it is uh, using up the liquid inside and concentrating the sugars and metabolizing some of those sugars and tr- changing the flavors of them. And then, like you were saying, uh, eroding the skins and um, it's it's fast like it's fascinating because it is all about like climactically how how the development of botrytis will be slowed so that it basically 
it's not fermentation, but it metabolizes the grape on the vine prior to wine being made out of it. Mm. Um, it's it, which is just like it's a kind of winemaking that requires just this intensely careful viticulture. That then, requ- mm-hmm. like at Ikem, my understanding is that they go through and basically they don't pick clusters; they pick berries. Yeah, which is like the the intensity yeah, of all of that is just so yeah. just mind-boggling. You know, yeah, especially yeah. compared with a wine industry that's now at the point. You know, I, I don't mean like. In, in any specific place, but just the wine industry generally worldwide now, you know, has like machine harvesters and and mm-hmm. computer-controlled fermenters that can pump themselves over and all that kind of stuff. And just the nature of what, Ch- like, Chateau Ikem makes is completely antithetical to all of that. It just, it does not, there is no way to do that uh, yeah. without levels of control that you, you, you need to not only control the vine, the fermenter, uh, the you know the the fungus inside the berry but also mm-hmm. the fog <laughs> the sun like yeah you, yeah you can't do it so yeah it's, it's an incredibly magical thing like it's really really beautiful that mm-hmm. people figured out you could do this and then did it and and do it yeah the way that they yeah do. Um, and it must be i mean for that um for that reason i think it might be one of the most obvious i mean it's like an expression of terroir that's like seems just so obvious Mm-hmm. that it could be like overlooked you know yeah. what i mean mm-hmm. because they're like you know oh do you get like the soils it's like no you can't make this <laughs> like anywhere else yeah. in the world <laughs> yeah you know what i mean <laughs> yeah no it's it's it, the fact that this yeah. exists is a fucking product of the terroir yep like this is one one of the styles of wine one of the reasons why i think it's so impressive is that like because of where it is like Unless you're really fucking it up and you're not doing a good job at all, like somehow you're intentionally fucking it up, or not intentionally, but you're doing something explicitly to fuck it up, just making wine from there is like, it's going to be consistent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As long as you do like, good vineyard maintenance, but the quality is very consistent. It's like um, talking to a winemaker that we both know. Um, and I remember I was asking him about like wine, sort of like winemakers versus. I mean, it was, like, like one of those, like, kind of shitty general questions that you ask more so because it starts a discussion rather than, like, whether or not the question's good to begin with. Mm, yeah. And I asked him some, something like, um, um, what, it wasn't, it wasn't, like, what matters more, the site or the, like, the, the winemaker. It wasn't something, like, it wasn't that bad of a question, but it was something along the lines, basically, to get him to say, like, well, like, the monks in Burgundy, like, had no idea what they were doing. And, uh, there's, a, like... The wines were, like, for just hundreds and hundreds of years, people were like, no, yeah, the wines from here are really good. It's like yeah. they, chances are they did not really fucking know anything about winemaking. They didn't know about, like, pump-overs and shit, you know. Um, but the wine was still really good. And so when you make wine, like, Sauterne is, it's, you know, because it is the size that it is, and it is, like, you know, production is strict. It's like, you know, any other region in Europe, the the, the production and guidelines and growing guidelines are pretty specific. Um it's going to lend itself towards a pretty consistent, delicious product. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's the, um, I mean, it's a very similar phenomenon to like the floor, uh, for, um, sherry in, uh, uh-huh. like you can try making sherry in other places and it just won't come out being that. Oh yeah. 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 Like it just, it, it's not right. And, um, there are elements to that too, from what you were describing to me about it, uh, to chartreuse, like, Oh man! You're not going yeah. to make the same thing. Oh, I want chartreuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's like um, particular uh, like 
it's 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 why like there's a terroir to um like there's a terroir to scotch like yeah it, and and it, it takes very specific styles of beer making but there can be terroir to beer as well that's why trappist mm-hmm. uh, ales are cool because there is a yeah. terroir to that and it's and it comes to you know and it comes into the bigger conversation about what terroir really is which to somebody who knows enough about fermentation and knows enough about the fermentation practices of certain places uh the there is an understanding that terroir is a living concept in that the populations of yeast that will do the fermentation in a given area mm-hmm. uh, evolve over time. And, you know, the the concept to certain uh, alcohol producers throughout the world, the concept of a, a packaged mm. yeast that you buy from, you know, um, Ona France or some other producer of those things yeah. uh, would be as grotesque as using a machine harvester to pick uh, Semyon for Sauterne. Like, it's just like, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. good God, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> right. And th- so there are there are elements like that, and then there are the elements that are um, sort of more tied up with, like there's this, it's a, it's one of the reasons I like talking about market stuff when it comes to um, to, to wine production, because... Like, I consider the concept of the invisible hand of the market to be just horseshit. Like, I just think it's a yeah, horrible yeah, concept. Yeah. But there is this invisible hand of uh, terroir that I think is very cool because you end up with s- sort of uh, moments like moments of inspiration, like uh, making sparkling wine out of the grapes growing in Champagne or making uh, sweet wine by letting the botrytis um, have its way with the grapes in, in, mm-hmm. in Bordeaux to make Sauternes. Like you, yeah. you need to have these. You need to have these moments of somebody going, somebody paying attention to what's really going on in the place that they are, and changing what they're doing to lean into it. And you know that that th- those are the winemakers who we'll never know the names of. Uh, in some cases, though, oh, yeah, that yeah. are now completely uh, intertwined with the DNA of the terroir of the place. Like you know, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons that like that question. Um, I don't think is is a bad or shitty one because there are winemakers who, you know, and maybe it was a collection of monks or maybe it was a collection of people with, you know, vineyards in, in, in Barbaresco or whatever who got together and said, well, what if we try this? And that was a moment where they uncovered a new quality of their terroir that would never have been seen otherwise. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, those are the moments that I'm like, in wine and in other things that are kind of beautiful about like... Um, like moments where humans fuck around with uh, ecological things and discover really, really cool, uh, really cool, uh-huh. you know, uh, truths about the the world they inhabit that could not reveal themselves without us fucking around and building our silly little buildings and uh, right. <laughs> putting shit into little glass bottles and leaving them in caves for decades and decades and <laughs> stuff like that, you know. And, and and what's so great about, you know, like Sauterne and Champagne and other wines on the fringes of what people t- tend to talk about when they talk about wine or, or mean when they say the word wine is that it opens mm-hmm. you up to how important that kind of thinking is to the best wines that are just wine, you know, in, in that in that same, you know, uh, lazy right, diction. Right. Um, it's just an exciting thing. That it's so much fun. Like, it, just, it also just tastes so goddamn good. <laughs> <laughs> No, it does, and it's like it's like when I was talking to that guy about you know uh, 
just people, uh, one of my friends sending me like a picture of this lineup of wines he was drinking. And it was all like, he went, had it at dinner and it was just like burgundy, 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 really expensive Rhone, really expensive Barolo, burgundy, burgundy, burgundy. And I was like, I mean, cool. Like, I'm sure it was really good, but at the same time, it's like the, it's interesting. Like, I understand it's, it, it would be cool to do a dinner of like seven Chardonnays and then maybe all from Burgundy, maybe even all from like fucking Merceau, like seven Merceaux, right? And you have them all set up and you're like, wow, there's such a cool diversity you can have in Merceau, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's sick, but it's like, if, if this is like the, the your relative diversity of what you like drink and are exposed to, you're fucking, you're missing out on so much. Yeah. And it's such a shame because there's such cool shit out there that, you know, people who are like, oh, yeah, no, I only drink fucking Pinot or something. And it's like, I mean, it's I understand. And I'm not talking about people who are like, you know, they're just getting into it. And they're like, no, I'm going to I like this. I'm going to stick with it. There are people who are like, no, I'm at this like, ad, quote unquote, advanced level of wine tasting. It's like Pinot's all I really care about. And like, it's like, OK, you haven't tried everything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like. I doubt you've had the most profound expression of, like, fucking Grenache Blanc. You know what I mean? Like, those wines I was telling you about, those are the um, Chateau <laughs> wines or whatever, which yeah. I don't really want to talk about because I want to keep buying them forever at the price they are now. <laughs> just edit out Chateau and then edit Chateau out the, br- You just, you know, just... But not, don't just, like, cut it. Just put in a beep. <laughs> yeah, I know. That'd be great. No, dude, I mean, honestly, those wines are, like, like the white and the rosé. Like, I haven't had the red because I've been just, like, waiting, basically. Yeah. Um, but, uh, one second, I'm writing this fucking shit down. You're writing down the timestamp? <laughs> I wrote down, yeah, 36, 36, leap. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I'm like, those are, like, some of the best wines in the world. Like, the rosé is insane, and it's not just like, oh, I don't like rosé. Like, no, it's just a, it's a different class of wine, and it's just incredible. Well, and then the white mm. is like, like, it, it smells like the, the, like, the Provencal Forest. It, it just one of those wines where it just takes That's you there. awesome. You know what I mean? And it's, it has every different, like, layer of fruit, like, fruit that you can imagine, all these herbs, and it's crazy, and it's only, like, that was one that I had that was, like, 10 years old, and it didn't show any sign of aging, like just flavor development but you're like oh fuck okay yeah no this wine <laughs> is really good yeah and that's from the but, most productive wine region in france it's yeah it, it, they make more wine than any other part of france and they are if you're an you know a novice wine drinker somebody who's just gotten into it you've never heard of uh languedoc <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. you know it's something you hear about if you're in france and you you know like you'll know it exists right but right 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 yeah that's very um uh, no, but the, well and the yeah. the thing you said about rosé that's another great like little insight because rosé is another one where people think it's a half wine you know they think it's you know yeah. between between making the wine you're supposed to make out of a red wine and making a white wine out of it when in fact yeah. it is very much its own animal out of which p- perfectly beautiful meaningful wines can be made oh yeah um like the idea of and and it is hard and and in its own way it's harder to make great wine that way and when people do yeah. it it deserves huge applause because it's not super easy to make a rosé that can age um, yeah and it's not super easy to make one that doesn't you know demonstrate that you as a winemaker understand how to make white wine and you understand how to make red wine but you're not really interested in figuring out how to make a rosé wine but when uh-huh. you get somebody who knows how to make a rosé wine 
And that's, so that's a good example, I think, of where, like, the winemaker matters because you need a winemaker good enough to find their mm. way back to the terroir from right. the challenge they've set themselves. Mm-hmm. Because there are times where it is probably the most meaningful thing you can do with the terroir you have. Uh, as in, like, yeah. champagne is, again, a perfect example of that. Like, you take your Pinot Noir and you press it off and you do not let it sit on its skins. So you're, you know... You're doing rosé type shit yeah. up there. It's some rosé yeah, ass yeah. business. Some rosé ass shit. <laughs> there... <laughs> no, but that's a co- that's a cool idea though. It takes like a just just the the concept that it takes a good winemaker to be able to um sort of like channel I guess the uh, the the terroir through a particular um style of wine. Yeah. So okay, how do, how do I make this taste like Languedoc? How do I make this taste like the Rhone, but in a in a, the framework of a uh, of a of a rosé or of maybe like a dessert wine or yeah. something you know yeah and that's something also that can't really be realized until you've had examples of it but or maybe even not but um no I'll take that back but yeah I don't know I don't know a lot of that also again just like everything else just seems like uh, like luck yeah it's 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 kind of the classic you know thing of like six uh, success I think is that what mm-hmm. people say success is a, a combination of preparation and luck or opportunity yeah. it's like how the best photographers like you can be a technically perfect photographer who who is incredibly competent and uh-huh. but and and do exactly what you want in a studio but most of the photographs that really have an impact on people even if they are somewhat staged and there's some very uh, well well known and pretty you know profoundly interesting um examples of that out in the world of uh, photographs that you know weren't done in a studio but were staged but the but the very best photographs and the best photographers are the ones who know how to go out into the world and capture a meaningful moment that happened that happened on its own and they just happened to turn their lens towards at the right time and in the same way like a great winemaker is something of a photographer where they make a much longer exposure of a thing that is taking a very long time to happen Mm-hmm. And doing it, you know, with the right amount of con- uh, contrast, the right amount of, like, the right shutter speed, the right, all those things. Like, you can think of, you can almost think of, like, fermentation kinetics as your shutter speed. And you can think of, like, mm-hmm. extraction as your uh, saturation. And you can all, you, you, you can, yeah. That, honestly, I'm pretty happy with that metaphor because, like, it, yeah, it, it's good. It, it has so much depth to it that I don't want to yeah. spend too much time on it because I'll just spiral out of, out yeah. of a useful, uh, <laughs> useful part of the conversation but there there is that core thing that is what's so brilliant about Sauterne because it's like somebody saying it's it's like somebody realizing that the best way to take a photo is with black and white film instead of color film or even the other yeah. way around it's like it it it, mm-hmm. it has sort of this sensation to it of the discovery of color film uh, yeah for this or you know uh, say uh photo sensitive or uh film that is sensitive to like infrared light you're seeing something that you could not perceive otherwise it's a totally different spectrum of uh (laughs) yeah stuff one one thing that that uh you know comes to comes to my comes to my mind is that this one time in high school when you're on this like trip and went to this museum and we were like you know everybody was kind of like whatever like sketching different like stuff and i was like trying to sketch this statue and like I don't know. Drawing's like something. I'm not the best with like visual 
like constr- like constructing visual art like i really i love it and i can be like you know i can like spot details out and i've got that but in terms of like producing it it's not something that i have a lot of like uh experience with and probably something i could get better at like anybody can get better at really anything with practice but it's like yeah you know you, but, you gotta um, want it <laughs> you gotta want it yeah it's only 24 hours a day and fucking whatever but <laughs> i mean like trying to sketch out and being like man i want to know how like I was trying to like shade this thing right and I was like, ah, it's not working. And then one of my friends I looked over and she had like just done it. Like, I mean, she's an amazing artist, but she like the shading was like, it was exactly what I was trying to do. And I was like, fuck, how'd you do that? And she just like, she's like, this? And I'm like, yeah. And she just like drew, like just drew a bunch of fucking paper and then just spread it with her thumb. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I didn't find that's fucking cheating, man. Like, yeah. how'd you do that? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's like That's there's crazy. this amazing story. Uh, there's a documentary about this guy that I really want to watch. Uh, but he's this. Um, I think he's got. I, th- I think I remember just. I, I don't think I'm being an ass saying this. He's this fellow who's quite profoundly autistic. But he. Uh-huh. F- maybe I'm making that up. In which case, I'd It'd be very funny. Yeah. Well, he's this guy who. Is he Japanese? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nope. <laughs> No, he's, no just, he's not. No, no, he's just this old guy who uh, he <laughs> would he would um, forge these pieces of art, and they weren't like super well known pieces of art, but he would forge all these pieces of art, and then just go to like these kind of smaller museums mm-hmm. and pose as like a like a a priest or something or like a like a professor uh-huh. and then just give these pieces of art to the museums he would be like hey i know that you have like a display about this artist would you like this piece of theirs and they'd be like wow that's really cool and then they would like hang it up in their museum and he did this like uh-huh. a bunch of different places and this fbi agent was like following him for years trying to figure out who was like <laughs> doing all of these in- insane forgeries that were like very very like visually accurate but uh-huh. <laughs> could be pretty easily identified because like if you did any chemical tracing on them he was making them with like crayons and uh-huh. other just like really cheap artistic materials and then the guy like did like the the documentary f- guy figured out who this was i think before the fbi agent did i'm not sure about that mm-hmm. but interviewed the guy and was like yeah what like what do you make all this art out of and he's like oh just cheap like material like you you can make anything out of anything. It's like, you know, you just have to figure out how, and it doesn't cost as much as buying, like, really nice paint, so I just do it this way. And yeah. then, the, the like, I think the end of the documentary is, like, the FBI guy catches him or catches up with him, but then, like, they can't charge him with anything because he just donated the paintings. <laughs> so he never, like, made any yeah. money on it. He yeah, just yeah. done it yeah. for fun. <laughs> Uh, oh my god i need to look up what that's the documentary is called yeah i just remember reading the story and being like that's so charming like that's just such a cool story <laughs> just like you don't need to arrest me i just have a hobby yeah that i like sharing with people yeah but but also that key little bit in it that where he's just like no yeah you don't need to like do things the way that people expect you to do them you can just it you know you can you can paint with anything if you want yeah you know then you yeah, can yeah. smudge stuff with your thumb and then erase it to get to the place that you want to get to and yeah yeah that's the thing that's so funny about like you know that's again a part of winemaking that um applies again to sauterne you know the sweetness in sauterne is because the grapes that they make it out of desiccate to much higher bricks than you make other wines out of so you know they ferment 
ba- I I would guess that they basically ferment Sauterne to the point where the yeast just die and can't ferment it anymore because the level of alcohol is so high. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the case. No, no this is only 13.5. No, but that's what I mean. Like, if you're using a, a weak enough yeast strain, oh, it won't oh, live okay, past that. That particular strain. Yeah, gotcha. so then there can be enough sugar that they could keep. So that's the difference to like champagne. Champagne yeasts are very, very strong because they have to live in a very carbon dioxide rich environment. They have to live in a very mm-hmm. uh, high acid environment. So they're, mm-hmm. they're yeasts that if there were higher levels of sugar than there usually are in the grapes when they pick champagne, would just plow through it. So if you want something mm-hmm. to like, if you're worried about a fermentation and it's about like eight bricks and it seems like it's slowing down precipitously, you pitch like a champagne uh-huh strain of yeast in there and it will finish that fucker out real well hmm. um uh my guess with sauterne is that they would use a relatively weak strain of yeast um let it ferment until the yeast just died and the fermentation stopped on its own mm-hmm. because uh i believe that the one i'm drinking has 135 grams per liter of sugar left in it which is oh whoa yeah uh no the, the sugar content in sauterne is just very high but i think yeah, this it's is very high naturally yeah, 143 grams per liter. Yeah, yeah, I'm at uh, 135 right? with a yeah. TA of 3.8. Because that's the other thing. Yeah, it's 3.6. Yeah. yeah, the acid would drop down so much. Like, you're, you're talking about a situation where if you're using it, like, there are yeasts that would take the situation that you get uh, sauterne grapes into the facility in, and they would ferment it dry. And it would probably come out to, like, 22% alcohol. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I, that, you know, maybe not that, but, like, certainly very, very high. Um, uh, I wonder if they even inoculate. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Like, I'd be fascinated to that. That's something that you know I'd be fascinated to learn more about. I think it'd get a little too nerdy for this particular uh, episode. But I would love to come back uh-huh. and do another, you know, another deep dive into Sauterne when we like have both acquired bottles of Bchem. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the the brand ambassador mm-hmm. on the show. Yeah. We're just <laughs> we're just at Chateau Ikem with our little just, blue mi- <laughs> yeah. snowball mics, just being like, "How do you make this?" Uh, we're still talking on like you know yeah. on our on our phones. Yeah, we're both on our phones talking yeah. to each other. <laughs> yeah, with like three liters. Yeah. We're social distancing with three liters of Ikem. <laughs> I'm one of those like ridiculous like uh, like yeah, I'm one of those ridiculous. Uh, like enormous dining room tables where we're sitting on the opposite ends. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, yes. For some, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I want one of those tables so bad. It'd be, That'd be so, so funny. funny. <laughs> I want one of those, and then I want a fireplace as big as the one in Citizen Kane. Oh yeah, like that's yeah. what I want. Yeah, you know, and just sit in front of and it. And then yeah, drinking saucer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, I have yes. to be. I have to be very just just furious and crotchety yeah all the time oh, so this is interesting you go into that room. um <laughs> just god damn it <laughs> fucking god damn what are they up to now i don't know what's grandpa doing there i don't know it's the angry he's in the angry room again it's just you've got an entire just... cabinet full of rare uh rare crystal you know uh glassware that you just smash into the fireplace <laughs> yeah yeah they all have the price tags on them too but the price tags are yeah. uh fireproof mm-hmm yeah. Just asbestos price tags. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Just so whoever cleans up after you yeah. has to know exactly how much you just wasted. Yeah, and get and has the price you it. purchased it at. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The price you purchased it at and on the current day. It's like the, the um, fucking Antiques Roadshow episodes. Yeah. Tur- yeah. Makes the sounds, too. Yeah. 
And man, did you ever watch Antiques Roadshow as a kid just to see like that? Did moment? I ever watch it? Yeah. Oh my god, I fucking I still watch that show. That shows um, it's my favorite fucking show. It's it is the like most bizarrely like uh, therapeutic like in the way that like yeah. Big Steve's Europe is very therapeutic. <laughs> yeah, where you're just like, huh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, cool, 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 cool. It's to me, it's the perfect show. Each yeah. shot is like, or each little like whatever bit there is like, it's long enough to be interesting, but it's not long enough for you to like ever lose like focus or lose interest really yeah unless they're talking about something that's like really you don't give a fuck about yeah there's always you can rely on like it's pretty consistent that you're gonna get even if you're like ah dude i don't give a fuck about this like porcelain chicken you know Mm -hmm. and then by the time you know they're like oh 30 seconds later oh no they're moving on to somebody else and it's like whoa this lady's got four dolls that have no eyes yeah you know and you're like fucking sick and then this other one after her just has doll eyes (laughs) the same eyes well you know then what's great is like i love the 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 scenarios where you either have someone with something because you can you always want to try and like game it out where somebody has something like a porcelain chicken and you're like i don't give a fucking i don't give a shit about this why are they showing it to me and then 30 seconds in they stop talking about it and move on to something else and you're like oh that was just a dumb porcelain chicken that was fake Okay, but then they show you yeah. something that you like look at, and you're like, "Wow, they're trying to fake me out with this." And then, you know, they're talking about it a little bit long, and then at the end, the guy's like, "Yeah, and that's why it's worth thirty thousand dollars." <laughs> what the fuck? That's like yeah. a, it's yep. like a piece of hair held together with like a gold brooch shaped like a, I don't know, shaped like a piece of barley, like mm-hmm. just the or then the person who like. It's always so sad when a person shows up and they're like, yeah, I have this frame that I think is really valuable. And the person looks at it and they're like, well, not only is it fake, but it's also a bad fake. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorites is when people are like, uh, <clears throat> it's like some, it's something that's been passed down like generation to generation. They've always been told like, oh, this might be really valuable. And then sometimes like they, they do bring it in and it's like, oh, this will be $10,000. And they're like, oh, that's so great. You know? Yeah. And then, and then, or they would be like, oh, this is, yeah, this is a fake. It's actually worth $10. And then, but either time they're, they're always like so confidently say like, oh, but it just has so much. It's a, it's a family heirloom. Yeah. Like, I, w- I would never sell it anyway. Oh know? yeah. Well, but then you do, and, get, uh, you, I love, I love the ones where someone brings in something. They're just like, yeah, I just had this. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's worth $150,000. And you can just see the person's <laughs> face go like, this solves all my problems. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to sell this shit today. I can send my kids to college. <laughs> oh <my> wow. <laughs> I'm going to have a kidney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah. No, those are the best. Yeah. But here's the th- but the thing is that I'm never like when's this episode of Antiques Roadshow gonna wrap up because like no yeah you can turn it off whenever and you can turn on whenever yeah and it's like it's the perfect show yeah no it, it that's how I feel about in the inverse way how I feel about uh, Chopped because mm. Chopped is mm-hmm. perfect in that it makes you feel like you're responsible to keep watching it so it's brilliantly manipulative oh, yeah. but it's never oh, yeah, worth yeah. it to keep watching it because no never like by the end you're yeah, just like yeah, yeah yeah no the one person who knew how to cook one that's great yeah <laughs> way to go dude chopped oh my god i went through a period of time where i like was like oh yeah this just this shit's great for about i don't know six months mm-hmm. and then i was like 
I fucking hate this. I hate this show so much, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I'm not going to watch it. Yes, well... You know what I mean? I, so, I I got to that point where my sister would watch Chopped all the time, and i just watch it over her shoulder. My sister's a very good cook and an amazing baker. Like, an amazing baker. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, and I imagine this is like a different because ver- you you are very different personality wise from my sister and my brother. But then my brother is also a chef, and there was this one time where I watched I watched my sister and my brother watch Chopped together, and just uh-huh. watched them like talk about what everyone was doing and all of these techniques that oh, they yeah, were using yeah. and like what the ingredients were and what they would have done with the ingredients. And it was yeah. fascinating because it gave me an insight into what was going on in my sister's head the whole time she was watching. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, this is so much more interesting to you because you don't give a shit about like what I give a little bit more of a shit about, which is like the way that this is structured as like a piece of television and how all yeah, of its costs yeah. are being kept very controlled and how yeah, yeah. like the personalities of the judges are very much like balanced with each other. And so some episodes are really kind of like grating because they didn't have like anyone play the heel or they didn't have anyone not play the heel on the judge panel like right. all of that stuff right right but my sister was also being able to watch the whole time when people were like cooking shit and like be engaged with that and see what people were doing and what risks they were taking all that stuff my sister loves cooking shows um but i was fascinated by it because like people who have nowhere near my sister's ability as a cook also love cooking shows and i just don't understand that at all yeah yeah, yeah. It's somebody who's no, like, no, is... I eat TV dinners, but I love Chopped. <laughs> I love Chopped, man. No, it is, it is funny because, like, you know, I'll watch it through that, through the, through the analytical lens, but, but I'll, at the same time, knowing like, uh, like it's, it's somewhere between like your sister and and you because I mean it's 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 both because I will like when whenever they're cooking, like if they're having watched enough, you know, like Scott Conan, I think is his name. Is that one he hates raw red onions. Hates them. Absolutely hates them. And, like, th- there is no context in which he will like red onions. And also, he's, I guess, known for cooking pasta. So, like, if you're going to make pasta and he's one of the judges, you have to do it perfectly. Like, yeah. it has to be perfect or he will just, like, basically say, like, no, fuck you to your face. Yeah. So, it's like, okay, here you go. Big thing. Don't make pasta if he's a judge. Don't use raw red onions. And yet people... Have, who have been on the show presumably have seen it before and will use raw red onions and like he's in like it's kind of like all the other judges will like kind of laugh because they see somebody like oh they're putting they're making a fucking salsa and they're putting raw red onions in there you know mm-hmm. but it's like how do you not pay attention to that fucking detail yeah and so it is like you know yeah you know, like uh like dynamics and in, in, in the shows i think are interesting and also um from a from a cooking perspective i don't think that show is like nearly as interesting as like some of the other ones where like as like i don't know like uh you know fucking the, the competition ones, ones aren't that like i guess they're kind of can be interesting but like yeah triple d is the best because <laughs> guys going to some somebody's like home turf and is like make me your thing yeah. and then the guy's like all right and then he there makes it you're still like jesus like <laughs> you had like months to prepare for this and this is what you came up with. You you boiled ground beef. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> but, no, but Chopped, it's like, okay, for dessert, right? Yeah. You get, like, 20 minutes to make dessert. There is There are a handful of things that you can do. You can make kind of, like, shitty cookies. You can make uh, French toast. <laughs> people uh, do that all can, the time on that fucking show. People make show. French toast all it's the time. So 
it's not really enough time to make ice cream because in order to have like the best ice cream yeah but people you want try it all the time <laughs> they do all the time and it never sets up they also try to make like mousses or they try to make like all they're like oh no i want to be the one who nails making the semi fredo or something like that mm, you know yeah. like i want to be the one who nails making a fucking cake or like a souffle it's like you can't do that you know and then they'll fuck up and they'll be like i appreciate you taking the you know the, the risk or whatever but it's like you know ingredients you know you can you can immediately see based on the ingredients like and like you know based on how some, somebody has performed throughout the show being like oh no they're gonna make french toast yeah like you can just fucking tell and they're like yeah i'm making this uh i'm making cinnamon french toast <laughs> Like wow, wow! I'm gonna do like like a mascarpone cream. It's gonna be more French some, than anyone's uh, ever toasted. With, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, with like a strawberry reduction. Like wow, so strawberries, uh, like cream and cinnamon French toast. Wow. Should have just made the judges are gonna be wowed yeah, by this. Just do shortcake, bro. <laughs> Which I don't even. Yeah, know. but you even could, then, you that's... couldn't cook that in time, could you? No, yeah. no. I mean, I mean, like you, you might be able to, but it wouldn't be very good. Yeah. And that's another thing I've heard, where like by the time they judge the food and stuff, and they set everything up, it's all cold anyway. Yeah. No, the the version of uh, fucking all of those shows that I've been um, reengaged with this this latest season that I I enjoy because of how it re sort of like con- constructs a bunch of those dynamics is the Great British Baking Show because of oh yeah it's like you can actually like get recipes for the technical challenges and all that stuff you can you can like you can get into that and learn something about cooking from it in a different way if you want to Uh or baking but then also it's i one of the things that's amazing about the brits is that like the british television industry has constructed a completely separate version or idea of what british people are and are like than Mm -hmm. like british politics or british reality and that show is like the pinnacle of that where it's like just so polite and sort of friendly and fun and interesting as opposed to like you know the reality of the british labor party having just you know uh (laughs) fucking what what's the excommunicated jeremy corbyn for yeah yeah no that show is great for all the reasons that that interview with Wine Spectator that we talked about is not. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, hey, I'm just like, I'm a regular working person. Here's here's a video literally of me at work that they t- they came to my job and filmed me working. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a professional. Uh, I just really like making this. I made this really cool uh, mascarpone fucking uh, marzipan tart. And you're like, ta-da, here it is. I'm going to show you how to make it. Here's me like actively being like, ah, fuck. Ah, oh, I fucked this up. Ah, and then just being like, it's okay. It still tastes good, you know. And you're like, okay, here's the recipe online. Yeah, which is that's already is making awesome. it accessible. It's yeah, it's like teaching you a skill. Like it's, oh, it's not talking down to you any step of the way. Yeah, which is it's like even the one fantastic. guy who does talk down to people, Paul yeah. Hollywood. That uh, they do a great job of breaking down him as a figure and and how like oh, yeah. pompous he is. At times. Oh, they shit on him all the time. And it's great because, yeah. like, you can tell yeah. <laughs> that there is this, like, that, that he does have a sense of humor about himself. And, mm-hmm. like, it's, he, I don't know where it comes from, but it's just, like, sort of an instinct for him to be that, like, guy on TV. <laughs> Which I, yeah. I, 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 I enjoy that show a lot be, because it's just so, like, it, because it does to baking what I would, like, 
would hope something like that would do you know it it's it, it's yeah. exactly yeah. the kind of thing that i don't think exists in the wine world genuinely where it mm-hmm. it, it you know makes it uh it, it de-stresses it for people i suppose yeah yeah and all the places where this there is stress in that show are really great because they're very clearly using it to make television and then there is a whole lot of like aftercare of people where they're like yeah yeah "Yeah, are you okay like you were really stressed out there there was a brilliant moment in one of the uh, episodes from this season where one person was like a little bit behind and one of the other contestants was helping them was like oh yeah no people do that all the time or like someone someone will like they'll like drop something like halfway through and everyone will be like stop and be like it's gonna be okay you can do it i promise we're gonna help you you can make another cake it's not that bad you have two hours left you know yeah. Make a little more pastry cream, you know. Well, <laughs> anarch- is, anarcho-baking so vision of the world is, is <laughs> <laughs> demonstrated by the Great British Baking Show. That would be great. Again, another thing, if we managed to get an interview with Chomsky, be like, do you like the Great British Bake Off? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good, actually. <laughs> That's what I would hope he would Why? say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just him being like, I like Noel Fielding. He's, uh, he's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, man. It is really great. Yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's nice to have a, you know, a, a reality TV show hilarious. like that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no fielding is. Oh, he's very funny. No fielding is one of the most. I don't understand. Like he's he's one of the most beautiful figures in like popular entertainment to me because if you look at his career, <laughs> it makes no sense. Like, have you ever seen the Mighty Boosh? <laughs> no. Have you ever seen the clip uh, called Old Greg? Oh yeah, that's from a show called The Mighty Boosh, and Old Greg is oh, one of okay. the least. It it's pretty par for the course for how fucking weird that show is. It's very <laughs> middle of the road for bits for them. Like they uh-huh. they have I think three seasons of twenty minute episodes and like ten episodes per season of just like weird nonsensical adventures with like music that I think Noel Fielding wrote most of, <laughs> uh-huh. and and the other guy that the other main character whose name I'm forgetting, uh, and. It's it is so bizarre and strange and just charming in uh-huh. the way that old Greg is. Like it's because have you seen the extended part bit of uh, of old Greg where it goes into the animated portion? No, I don't think so. Uh, well, because like it gets to a place where the guy's like, "Can I leave now?" And old Greg's like, "Nah, you can't leave." And he's like, "Well, I've got my band has got to got to play a gig." And old Greg's like. I've seen your band. You know what you need? You need the funk. He's like, what? He's like, you don't have the funk. We're not really a funk band. He's like, oh yeah, no, no, I have. And then that. He, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. the funk was a a big ball of teats about the size of a medicine ball. He fell out of space into Bootsy Collins's house, <laughs> and then it's just like about Bootsy Collins Collins riding around with this ball of teats <laughs> called the funk. <laughs> it's just so bizarre, but like, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, oh, it's great. Yeah, Noel Fielding is just. Have you ever watched uh, the Big Fat Quiz of the Year? <laughs> no, it's another. I haven't seen any of this. Shit. Uh, it's another British panel show that he's on quite often. He's usually paired up with like Richard Ayoade or Russell Brand. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's just like teams of people answering questions that are you know of certain formats about the preceding year. And it's just a very fun like hour long program they do every Christmas. Uh-huh. Um, this year's will probably be very funny, honestly. <laughs> 
Now that I think about it, because usually the, the premise started where they would just do it about the year, and then uh, for other holidays, I think they'll film specials where they do like the big fat quiz of the decade, the big fat quiz of the, the 2010s, mm. the big fat quiz of everything, like all sorts of gotcha, all sorts of stuff. But uh, Noel Fielding is quite often on it, and he's like very clearly um, in that show, and very much in the, the structure of the Mighty Boosh. He's just a very intelligent guy who has very eclectic taste. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it's just fun to watch him like be funny in real time because he doesn't do that so much yeah. on the Great British Baking Show. Uh, like he does a little bit when he's like riffing with the bakers, but yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Richard Ayawade too is—he's a very, uh, very, very smart guy. Very funny. He's the guy who played Moss in the IT Crowd. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I did. I gotta check uh, that out. There. Yeah, I've. I, I watched a lot of British TV as a kid, and then in college we'd just, like, watch British TV on YouTube <laughs> when I got bored. Yeah. No, man, there's some good shit out there. Just just spent a whole lot of time wondering about the gap between, like, the BBC's presentation of, like, British humor via a bunch of very good panel comedians, and then just the nature of British culture and politics at large. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to put this in the episode, and it's going to be totally natural. But uh, thanks for listening. Uh, please Natural uh, wine Patreon. advertising. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Corktaint. And sign up for our Patreon where you can get uh, access to bonus episodes and shit. And uh, uh, wine lists that we do uh, monthly. Uh, which I didn't actually start doing monthly until somebody signed up for the tier who I didn't know. <laughs> and I was like, fuck. <laughs> I gotta do it. <laughs> Dang it. So, uh, follow us on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, man. Go, we go to our website, corktaint.blog, and there's articles and shit on there. And, uh, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. You're the best. You're beautiful. So fucking hot. <laughs>